As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's Civilized Barking, Zach Jackson and Jason Lloyd. I'm all hopped up on allergy meds and enthusiasm. The Browns are on the practice field. Uh, It's Thursday, we're headed into Memorial Weekend. So this morning is Browns OTA number three. Um, Yesterday, number two was the first one open to reporters. So saw one this week, we'll see one of the three next week. And then that's it, the six OTAs and then a three-day rookie minicamp. All three of those are open. Um, And by June 8th, the off-season program is over. It's cut short because the Browns have the extended training camp. Uh, they have the extra preseason game. Going to be a long summer. Um, Jason, you weren't there yesterday. You'll be there next week and at minicamp. Um, it's it's an odd feeling. Look, I, I think judging Twitter mentions, conversations uh, just around the fan base, there's angst. There is excitement, and there should be. Um, we know what's at stake here, right? This is a team that's gone backwards in two years after making the playoffs. This is a team that regardless of where you actually fee- f- land in your argument about the talent level, um, pretty good, 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 really good. You know, it, it pro- the results haven't matched that. Um, we know that Jim Schwartz is being asked to do a lot and fix a lot, and everybody involved thinks he's capable. We know there's a lot on Deshaun Watson for a lot of reasons, and pretty good isn't going to be good enough, but pretty good would be a good start. And if he's not really good, this is going to be a disaster, but we'll see. Um, the excuses from last year are valid. He's got to be better. And so we won't know anything for four months. There'll be lots of ups and downs. There'll be lots of scrutiny, and that comes with the excitement. Um, when I watch the team run out just for one spring practice, you're like, yeah, there's there's some good players here. Zadarius Smith is – one that you noticed yesterday in the first one. So just kind of what's your read on the temperature of the Browns here uh, at the end of May? Well, Zach, 45 minutes ago when we tried recording this the first time. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. Quit giving away my secrets. Well, I, I screwed it up too. But 45 minutes ago when we tried recording this the first time, I said I didn't know that there was another team in the league that had a higher ceiling and a lower floor than the Browns. And you correctly pointed out the Chargers. And I think that they also fall into that group. 
But the Browns, the Browns and Chargers might be the two teams. Like the Browns could go twelve and five and vie for the division. And I would say, yeah, all right, it went according to plan, and and they Deshaun played well, and we there's a lot of talent on this team, and a lot of people saw that coming. Or they could go five and twelve. Everyone gets fired before Halloween, and we go, yeah, well, it's the Browns, and a lot of people saw that coming. So I just there's such a wide variance on this team. Uh, and, you know, one thing that I forgot to ask you the first time we recorded this 45 minutes ago, <laughs> do you think, is this the most talented team that they've had since they came back in 99? And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were talking, we were going through the, the cap, and we were talking Odell and Jarvis and all the talent that they had, and we and foolishly said, is this their best chance at a Super Bowl because they're going to have to start making some decisions here coming up. And 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 so maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm I'm caught in the moment here, but when you look at some of the acquisitions that they made, when you look at the the late ad of Zadarius and the talent that they have defensively, rebuilding the defensive line, is this the most talented team that they've had in 25 years, or is that emotional overreactionary and caught in the moment of of the off season? Well, the idea is that it should be right, um, and you feel good about the off season, even though you're making up for a lot of past misses. I mean. Guys, when I see all your Andrew Barry laser eyes things, did you do that for Austin Hooper too and John Johnson? You sure did. Phillips? <laughs> um, no, it is. And and you would say, well, you have the quarterback that you never had. That's why they made the trade, right? And we'll see how it goes with Deshaun and with Deshaun and Stefanski and whatever. And I do think to an extent that just pretty good from Deshaun will be good in terms of getting the offense, validating the offseason work. Right, getting him on the same page with his quarterback and new receivers and validating the decision to almost completely remake the receiving core, right? To to go and draft Cedric Tillman after you already spent on Elijah Moore and added Marquise Goodwin. Right, continuing to bring along those guys. So yeah, I do think there's a high ceiling. I, I said this before we saw the schedule and then in, you know, the immediate aftermath of of that. I think for this team, there's a real fine line between seven and ten, which would be a disaster. It would be the record they had last year, and ten and seven, which gives you a chance to be playing the last two weeks for the playoffs, which is all you could really ask for. If this team is healthy and gets in, they're dangerous, right? And and we saw just it was just two and a half seasons ago that they were there. If you're in the AFC's final four, you're there. You're a contender, right? And they haven't gotten back to that, and a lot has happened. And last year, it was all thrown on the quarterback. This year, it's all thrown on the defense and the defensive coordinator, and here comes all these new pieces. And on Friday night, they're trading two fives for Zadarius Smith, who should make Miles better, should make Ronco better, should make your, your rookie Isaiah McGuire better. And, and the whole idea here, it's tied to, Jason. We're going to score more points. Deshaun's going to be much better. We're going to be so much more dynamic and versatile on offense, and we're going to play with the lead, and then we're just going to let these guys – you know, Zadarius Smith on a one-year rework, Miles, who we're already paying, and we know is going to get his 16 at minimum and could get 20, and and then the $12 million guarantee to Okoronkwa. We're going to let those guys just feast because we're going to play with the lead. We're going to be scoring points and, and forcing teams to play against our pass rush package with our new maniac defensive coordinator. So the blueprint is all there, and, and we'll see uh, on how that goes. But, yeah, I, I think this is a high-variance team. I agree this is a high-ceiling team. Um, I do not think that right now they are like a true, true AFC contender elite, but you don't need to be. You have to prove that. I think one of the things that makes them unique is there's only a small handful, and you could even make the case for the only one, where every team in the division thinks they can win the division. 
And whoever does win the division is obviously an AFC contender, right? And so it's combustible. Um, it's going to be close. They need to be better on special teams. That's why they made the moves. They can't get gashed by the run and lose guys in coverage, quite obviously. Um, and the schedule, for one, really puts the onus on. You don't need to be 4-1 and one or 5-0 and oh early. But, man, you play really important games that are going to linger and real measuring stick games. And so you have to find a way to win, whether it's ugly, whether it's by miracle, whether it's by Deshaun playing awesome or the defense causing six turnovers. You have to win more than you lose early, and you have to kind of establish things. You have to be ready to go. You have to turn this long summer and all these field trips uh, into a team that's ready to play because when you play the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Ravens in three of the first four games, you're going to find out where you stand um, at a time that's really ahead of where we start to find out who's for real and who isn't in this league. Now that we are to the point where they're back on the field, and I I think now we can adequately look at the roster and what was done and what's not, and sure, there may still be some tweaks here and there, but I think we have a pretty good idea now what this team's going to look like. I, I'm a little bit surprised. I, where, did, where did the season end last year? I don't remember. Were we in Cincinnati? Where did in, we, where in, did Pittsburgh. We Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh. That's right. Yeah. So as we're finishing in Pittsburgh and we're doing the last podcast and we're talking about all the holes that they have to fill on, on both sides of the ball, really, uh, but particularly on the defensive side. And, you know, we both shook our head and said, I, I, I don't know how you do all this in one offseason. Well, to Andrew Barry's credit, I think they did a pretty good job. Now it's only on paper. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the additions they made across the defensive front, when you look at the Juan Thornhill and the additions to the, to the secondary and we talked about overhauling the receivers, it looks like they did as good of a job as they could do in filling holes on both sides of the ball. Is that is that fair? Do you think that – I mean, I know everyone, like you said, everyone jokes about Andrew Berry and the laser eyes and everything else, but to give them credit where they started and not having a first-round pick, it looked like a difficult – task in front of them and as we enter into the ota periods now and as we enter into getting ready for training camp it feels like they addressed all their needs yeah i think that's pretty fair i think you have to be pleased with the off season i think it was more aggressive in terms of money and raw number of guys than they anticipated but they thought they needed to do that right um dalvin tomlinson was a must 325 pounds um the guy next to him eventually will be Ika, the third-round pick, who's 350 pounds right now. You know, um, you needed mass there. They're taking a chance on Maurice Hurst, who's been a good player in this league, but injuries have limited him. He's barely played it over two years. They're taking a chance on Tristan Hill, who came into the league as a young, immature guy, and a few years later is still a young, immature guy. But they think, hey, we can get something out of him. You know, they need depth on that defensive line. So Zadarius Smith is obviously a big swing. Jason, it's a name guy. It's an older guy who has a really proven pedigree. It's going to play a lot. Uh, Okoronkwo is not an every-down defensive end. He's a smaller guy, but you're developing that pass rush stable. Eventually, you want to keep Miles fresher and healthier. He's played over 80% of the snaps over five years. You just can't do that. He's very much at the peak of his powers. You just can't do that. You have Smith, who had eight or eight and a half sacks in seven games last year and then got hurt and played in, you know, had one sack really the rest of the way. So, they're trying to come in waves of defensive linemen. And that's um, what they've never had here. We've talked about that multiple yes. times on this podcast. You've pointed out repeatedly they didn't have enough depth up front. The good teams can roll guys in and out up front defensively, and the Browns have never been in position to do that. Yeah, um, a couple of points I, I want to make sure we make. We, Jason and I were part of a group that we got 
a little glimpse of the Jim Schwartz defense. And, and by, by me, by a little glimpse, I mean a five minute, very basic, let's talk to dumbass sports writers in terms they can understand crash course <laughs> that included about three or four plays. And the idea of this defense is the Browns aren't going to invest in linebacker because the, the linebackers are just not as important as the other positions in this defense. The Browns feel real good about where they are at corner. Um, they have their two clear, strong or starting safeties. They brought in Rodney McLeod, who's been in the league forever, has played for Jim Schwartz. He's going to be a coach. He's going to be the top backup he can play in certain packages. We've talked about the remake of the defensive line. Still wouldn't be shocked to see him add another defensive tackle between now and the summer. But at linebacker, those guys are just going to be asked to freelance. They're going to ask Anthony Walker to lead. Obviously, they're going to ask JOK to stay healthy and fly around and make plays, and they think he'll have those chances. It's just they're not going to bring in another linebacker and add a bunch of depth to that group because they just feel like the other places are more important. But, Jason, you and I both think they should cut Perry on Winfrey. You and I both think it was a terrible draft pick and they should acknowledge their mistake. I can't believe mistake. he's still here. I right. can't believe he's still here. But in this little three-play crash course that we got, the guy who was lined up at right defensive tackle was the Perry on Winfrey body type. I mean, if you, we, we wouldn't have seen the numbers on the back of the jerseys and known the clip was from three or four seasons ago in Philly. I would have sworn it was Perry on Winfrey. So we'll see how it goes. And if he screws up in October and becomes a distraction again, we're going to kill him, and they're going to deserve it, right? Yep. But yep. they're saying for right now this is a talented guy, and they're all in. Look, this is Darius thing just reinforced what we all knew. They won't say it. They've been asked many times. Um, they know what's at stake here this year. Right. And that doesn't mean you just fly around and get guys or that doesn't mean that, you know, the next guy that comes available, you spend every dime of your cap room on. Right. They're pretty invested in the roster they have. and Most tweaks will be minor, barring something completely unforeseen. But they know what's at stake. Kevin Stefanski knows darn well what's at stake with his job. Right. And the guys who have structured the contracts and the long term planning and done the player acquisition here. Um, they know darn well what's at stake here. And Zadarius on the surface on May 12th for a pick swap, that's great. You know, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be a good teammate? We'll see. But there, there's no complaints about doing that. This guy is going to be a starter. He's a proven producer. He's played in playoff games. He's played on good teams. He can get to the quarterback. We're going to see. Uh, how's it going to work out with Hurst? And, and um, you know, is Tommy Togiai going to stick around? Is Winfrey going to stick around? Is Ika going to get ready? We'll see. That's what – this is all about, but I can answer the Togi I part. No, <laughs> yes, he's no, correct, <laughs> correct. But you know, again, they're trying to build out this group because four defensive tackles are going to play, yeah. you know, and and five pass rushers are going to play, and they're going to mix and match them, and we'll see. So as far and as a practice, think, you go do ahead. think that there are you do think that there are packages where all three of the pass rushers, Obo, Miles, and, and Zedarius, can all be on the field together. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you're not going to play Miles inside 10, 15 snaps, but you're going to move him around and you're going to you're going to rotate him and keep him fresh. And um, that, that's why I, Isaiah McGuire is the body type of Zadarius Smith. And Alex Wright is pretty much the same. And, you know, so they're saying of those guys, they're going to get them ready and they're going to have a role as the number three, four defensive end. But they're going to play inside in some of these turbo pass rush packages and go from there. You know, they're saying Rodney McLeod, he played almost every snap for the uh Colts last year at 31 years old. They're saying he he can go in and play either safety spot if we need him. You know, they guaranteed Juan Thornhill $14 million. They're saying this guy gives us range we simply didn't have before. So um, we'll see how that goes. A defense that takes the ball away changes seasons. The Browns, of all the things that, that you know, 
made us question them last year and wonder what was going on with the run defense and, of course, the the late coverage busts and all the leadership questions we had. They just simply didn't cause enough turnovers. And, you know, good teams cause the turnovers, they cash them in. The bad teams get burned by it. We'll see. Um, At practice, Jason, I don't think there's a lot to see. You know, it's a 75% football practice with 70-some guys. The team sessions are not even at full speed. You're just kind of doing the instructional. It's rookie orientation. It's the new coordinator implementing his things and and harping on a couple things each day. It's the offense revisiting a couple things and installing new ones and throwing it. So it is a passing camp. Um, The seven-on-sevens are full speed, and you want to see it. You know, I, I thought just of one observation that, that I expected a little better from that, but it is one practice. The next time we see him to be practice five, I expect it to be sharper. So um, there was a really, really good throw in a little red zone seven on seven from Watson to Marquise Goodwin, and Watson celebrated like crazy. So whether that was getting the exact coverage they thought and that was the read, or maybe that was a play they had just put in, or maybe he was frustrated from the, how the rest of the day went, I don't know. They celebrated. The next time, uh, the very next play, the defense – Took away the first read, and he thought he had Demetrius Felton at the goal line. And Martin Emerson came out of nowhere with those Anthony Davis arms and, and kind of knocked it away. Um, Elijah Moore is certainly fast. They're going to play him inside and out. Amari Cooper's not in practice right now because it's May and he's 29. So um, I, I know the one thing that stuck out to you from reading my article and us just talking about this was we know Chubb, Batonio, Najoku, and, and uh, Miles Garrett weren't there. And of that list, I know there's one that, that sticks out to you about that. And um, I don't think raises yeah. an eyebrow is strong enough. No, it, it, it really kind of annoyed me that Miles wasn't there. And, you know, if, if you're going to be the guy – and listen, I don't want to make it – I don't want to go on and on and on about OTAs. And we had that debate when Odell was here about how important are they. And I didn't make a big deal about it then because he's a receiver. But when you are the quarterback of the defense, when you – consider yourself a franchise pillar of this team when you're a leader i don't care if it's voluntary you should be there you should be at all of them you should be at every single one of them and it just kind of annoyed me and maybe he had a good reason you know we we don't know and and kevin you know stressed yesterday that it was voluntary and okay yeah that's fine but when you've got a new defensive coordinator and you're installing a new system and there's all at stake that's at stake this year where there's jobs on the line and and your career is on the line you know you're it's it's it continues to tick on miles. And, you know, if this thing really goes sideways, it could really get ugly here. And I just think for all that's at stake, he needs to be there. And it just really kind of rubbed me the wrong way of all the guys. Petonio's not there. I think that probably still goes back to the JC boycott. JC Treader obviously is one of Joel's best friends and JC felt like OTAs weren't necessary. And Joel's probably sticking with that. Uh, that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm totally wrong and, and whatever. He's a, he's a guard, you know, different positions carry different value and different importance. Imagine if Deshaun wasn't there. What if Deshaun didn't show up to OTAs? What would you be saying? Well, Miles is the Deshaun of the defense. And if you want to be that guy, if you want to be looked at as that guy, and you want to carry yourself as that guy, then you need to be there. I would say it's only May, but you're preaching. Clip that. We're going to revisit it. Um, I couldn't say it much better. You know, this team has had leadership problems. This team has had accountability problems. This this team has had a lot of problems, right? I, I've said when you're the head coach of the Browns, you, just, you got a firefighter uniform and you got one hose and there's nine damn fires all the time, right? Yeah. It is only May. 
if I was Joel Batonio, I would not be there. If I was Nick Chubb, I would not be there. And that obviously pertains to his contract situation where he knows that the Browns don't really have a whole lot of reason to keep him uh, after this year, the way the numbers work out. I'm not going to question or I'm not going to assume, excuse me, anyone's motives. Um, and I, I do know for a fact from going through my notes that last year of the, of the open OTAs, Miles was at some and not at others. That is his right, and that's everybody's right. Um, this is also the time of year where there's family graduations and gatherings and all sorts of things, and I, I'm sure there's lots of guys that are in and out. But going all the way back to the Odell thing that was made, to me, a bigger deal than it should have been. When you are looked in such reverence by your teammates, by your younger teammates specifically, because of your ability, because of your presence, I think even if you're not participating, you have an obligation to be there. It just only helps, right? And so maybe he will be. Uh, I'm not going to reiterate what you just said because I'm with it. But of the guys we're watching this year, right, we know what number four has to do. But we're watching number five's, number 95, excuse me, his every move. And the Browns need the best version of Miles Garrett, the locked-in version of Miles Garrett, the leader version of Miles Garrett, if they're going to get there. Because if the Browns are a talented mess again, everybody's getting fired and the future of the thing is really in question. Because when you look at these offensive cap numbers for next year, <laughs> right? Oh, um, it has to work, Zach. It has to. It work. has to. And the other thing about this division being so close and so damn competitive is like, for as much as the NFL is ever changing, if you do fall off, how are you going to catch up? Right? What have I always said about the Deshaun thing? If I watch Patrick Mahomes and I watch Burrow throw to Chase, I'd probably make a desperate quarterback trade too. Yeah. But like, the Browns have top end talent like all of them. I just think, Jason, I just think, and I know I'm bouncing around to like three different topics here. You know what you're getting every single week from Burrow, from Chase, from Sam Hubbard, from those guys in the Bengals. You know what you're getting every single week from TJ Watt. Right, you know what Lamar has done when he's healthy, and, and he hasn't finished the last two seasons. But the Ravens' record and the numbers he puts up, and the production that Mark Andrews puts up when they've had no other receivers when Lamar's healthy, is there? Why did they sign Roquan Smith? Because he's Mister Freaking Reliable. Why is Marlon Humphrey still the best corner in the division? Because he's Mister Freaking Reliable. I just think there's very the Browns have as much talent in a lot of places as some of these teams, but the other guys are such more sure things. I think that's that's more than fair to say. Twelve and five, five and twelve, going to the playoffs. Put your house up for sale. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm more seven and ten, ten and seven. But yes, um, for sale signs in January is absolutely what's at stake here. Nobody would Kevin would not run from that either. He, he's not going to come out and say it. He would not run from that either. He knows. He knows. Sure, sure. And and, and I think I think the frustrating thing, and, and and you know what, I'll say this about the Haslam's. They like we joke all the time about how many how many people they fire and, and they, it's warranted. But re, I mean, they gave Hugh an extension. They gave him an extension that they didn't tell anyone about because they would have been yeah. mocked shamelessly for it. But they don't want to keep firing these people. Like I think they've been through this long enough. They are desperate for this to work, and and I do feel like this is the first time where they all see it the same way, from Paul to Andrew to Kevin. Like the most important figures in the organization, they all see it the same way. And whether that's good or bad, you may disagree with their with their style and their approach and the analytics and everything else. But at least everybody's pulling on the rope in the same direction. And that's never been the case there. So that's why it's going to be even more disheartening 
if this doesn't work and they blow this thing out and they start all over again, I don't know what you do because they've tried literally every single approach you can take. And now they finally have it where everybody likes and respects each other and everyone's involved in the meetings and everyone's allowed in the meetings and no one's getting shut out. And it's, that's why I just say this, this has to work because if the, if it doesn't, I don't know what they do. Like this feels like the, the Mike Holmgren move of the learner regime of like, well, if this doesn't work, where do you go next? Well, we're back at that point with all that you've invested in the quarterback and all that you've done to this roster and all the future that you've sacrificed. If this doesn't work, where do you go next? Yeah. It's, it's only May 25th, but this is all valid Jason, right? Because like, Anything short of the winning season, anything short of the Browns rounding for home, being in contention. And, and they don't have to be two games up in the division Thanksgiving. They don't have to start the year no. four and one, right? No. But the games have to be significant. The offense has to be at a certain level, and the defense has to be, you know, at very least the complimentary, taking the ball, taking the ball away, right? Um, guys playing to their pay grade uh, on, on both sides. But, you know, like I said, in a lot of ways, I think it's fair to say the Browns are asking Jim Schwartz to be a miracle worker because we know this personnel just hasn't been good enough and it's thin in certain areas. And, and they can say the linebacker doesn't matter. Every good team has good linebackers, right? Um, but the offense has to be a ton better. Not necessarily in game one, not necessarily in game four, although those are obviously important games. But the offense has to be a ton better, a ton more diverse, putting the ball in the quarterback's hands and letting him create. And that has to help the other areas so much that they have to be at or above 500 rounding for home. You know, when they play the Bears and the Texans in December, they have to win those games. And when they come to those last two against the Jets, who, you know, feel to me like the 2019 Browns, we'll see. Again, it's May. And then the Bengals and who knows what the situation. Those games have to be for the Browns either playing for a home game or playing for a wild card game or saying it or else we know how this is going to go. We just do. And yeah. and this is why we got all these field trips for the team to go around the country, right? This is why Anthony Walker's back and Josh Dobbs is back. This is why it was $12 million for Oboe and fourteen for Juan Thornhill and Zedarius Smith on a Friday night in May because they Browns weren't going to wait, right? They knew the Vikings had cap problems. They knew they were going to add to the defensive line, and they said, we're not going to wait. We're going to do this. We're going to structure this contract this way. This is the way we believe in. We're going to defer the money down the road as we've done. We're going to add this player to our defense, and we're going to say we're here. We're going to look like the other teams when we run out of the tunnel. We're going to have the experience level of the other teams. We trust in this defensive coordinator, and we're going to do our damnedest to give him every available resource. He wants pass rushers. He's got them. Let's see who goes and makes plays. Yeah. You know, in regard to JOK and Greg Newsom, I think those are cornerstone. They, those were viewed as cornerstone players, and I think they are a part of why the Browns felt good about making the Watson trade. They didn't have good second years. They're good players. They're talented kids. They're what the Browns at least publicly say they want in their guys. So they need them to go out and produce. They need JOK to run around and sack Lamar Jackson. They need Greg Newsom to be out of the headlines and be in on some interceptions, right? It's just real simple. So – We'll see how it goes. And, and, man, when you have that stretch of all those home games early and all those really good teams early, um, watching Josh Dobbs throw the ball at practice yesterday and seeing how close they came to make to the playoffs, I mean, Mike Vrabel really might be the greatest coach who ever won. Mike Vrabel might be the next Bill Belichick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just let me say that. and that, that That's no Summit County bias. That's just fact. So awesome. your, your first four games are Joe Burrow, 
right, in a stadium that's already going to be emotionally charged, and you're going to have a Jim Brown video play right before kickoff. Monday night in Pittsburgh where you've won twice since the stadium opened 22 years ago. (laughs) Mike Vrabel at home and Lamar Jackson at home. So do these May practices matter? Does every practice in July, does every detail matter to these Browns? It does. Because this thing – with we're all we're all in agreement that there's enough talent for this team to at least be successful and maybe really successful. But man, if it goes poorly, it could go really poorly quickly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You want to get into Jim Brown? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that and then get out of here. So, um, Jim Brown, the greatest, and that's one thing that's struck with me, Jason. We Jim retired before either of us were born. Um, we've read the articles and the books. We've seen the clips. The one thing that always stuck with me was. All these years later, he was referred to as the greatest. Guys broke his records, right? Um, the NFL changed, and, and the consumption of, of the NFL changed, and the way the superstars are viewed changed. But people referred to him as the greatest. Um, when I was a kid, my dad talked about him, and his buddies talked about him. Like, he was different than anybody they'd ever seen. And that was 25 years ago, and now 30 years later, you know, it's still there. Um, I have two personal accounts and one I will save for the end, but I worked for the Browns for almost 10 years. I was in the building and Jim had an on again, off again relationship with the new team. But for many years of the Randy Lerner era, he was involved and to see the players um, light up and hold him in such reverence when he would be on the practice field, pull them aside in the hallway, speak to them in the locker room or the team plane or the team bus. um, You felt it. And, you know, these were guys that were born way after I was even, right? We were. And, um, you know, so it's a complicated legacy. He was powerful enough to have gangs putting down their guns, to be bringing some of the world's most famous athletes together to fight for for rights and, and for a platform. Um, and then we had the domestic violence part. And a lot of the charges never stuck. I would tell you that Zobit, that I wrote and you at least skimmed over, if not helped with three years ago, I think was one of the hardest things I ever wrote. And not just because I never actually saw him play, but because there are so many layers to it. So this was a layered man. This was arguably the greatest football player that ever lived. 
And in remembering him, there was just always this awkwardness in this presentation because there was so much in the legacy and because of the allegations of, of the serious things. And, and some of to which he admitted, you know, even though he was never really charged with any of those. Yeah, you know, after he died, uh, the desk guy and the fellow desk at the athletic called and asked, well, what do you want to do? And it, I was struggling with, with the legacy and, and he did so much good. And you touched on it with the gangs and uh, and I'll get into more in a second. Uh, but you can't just ignore the bad because the bad is really bad. And no, he was never charged, but there's enough smoke there to know that there was, there was you know, there's a dark side to him. And, and I just I, I was conflicted with how to handle that. And I thought Jim Trotter did just a fabulous job uh, with the column that Jim wrote. Jim's been already been a tremendous addition to the athletic staff and really anxious and excited to get to work with him and see what what he can help with us and add to us going forward. You know, Jim knows the Browns very well. Jim Trotter knows the Browns extremely well, has great relationships with people in that building. So, you know, I just think he could be a great resource to our readers, Browns fans specifically going forward. And Jim did such a good job with this column that I felt like, well, okay, that's, I don't need to say it because he just said it. And so I spent the weekend talking to Jim's former teammates, Walter Beach and uh, John Wooten. And I spoke to Jim Bailey, who was really Art's right-hand man for 20 years with both the Browns and the Ravens, one of the executive directors of the Browns. And just sort of piece together, you know, the Browns have never been to a Super Bowl. One of four teams never go to a Super Bowl. But Jim Brown's a big reason why. And Jim leaving and, and retiring when he did. And, you know, John Wooten felt, felt absolutely that the Browns could have played for a Super Bowl had Jim not retired probably that year. Um, and just the way, you know, one thing that was that Jim Bailey told me, again, arts guy, who I had never, well, I'd never heard this before, that. Art told people he helped Jim get that role. Art had deep ties to Hollywood. He came from the television industry. That was his that was his wheelhouse. And Art helped Jim land the role uh, in Dirty Dozen that ultimately ended his career. And and Art regretted that. Art regretted the favor ultimately because, you know, he th threatened to find Jim. And Jim said, well, you can't find me if I'm not there. I'm gone. And Jim felt like, you know, he backed Art when Art fired Paul Brown and he deserved a little bit more leash than a normal football player. So it was just, you know, Bailey described it as two stubborn men. And I wrote about it. I'm, I won't rehash the whole thing here. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I think is worth pointing out. John Wooten said that he was really upset that the NFL, he didn't feel like the NFL embraced Jim Brown to the extent that he should be. You know, John told me, if you look at how the NBA uh, embraced Bill Russell, as one of the first great black basketball players in the NBA. And if you look at how baseball treats Jackie Robinson with Jackie Robinson Day and everyone wearing the number 42, he felt like Jim has earned that same level of respect and never really got it from the NFL. And until recently here, when they named the rushing title after, after Jim and, and John was just elated by that and felt like it's about time and long overdue. And I just wondered if, I asked John if he felt like sort of Jim's past and, and sort of the dark side of his past has anything to do with why the NFL has been slow to embrace him. And John said, no, he didn't think so. He just didn't think that the NFL has embraced its black greats from the past like the other sports have. I tend to think it is a lot to do, probably tied to some of the off-field issues that Jim had. But the Browns have a stadium or have a statue outside the stadium of them. So they've, they've certainly – done you know they, they have embraced it and you know i i can make the case that 
all NFL teams this year should wear the 32 patch on their jerseys or on their helmets for what Jim has meant to the game. We've seen it in the NBA with, with the, with the number six patch for Bill. And, you know, the Browns certainly will do something either on their helmet or on their Jersey. I don't know which, I think that they will do some sort of celebration of Jim's life at some point this summer, the Browns will, you know, John told me, uh, Jim did not want to be, he did not want a funeral. He wanted to be cremated and he wanted his ashes spread in his hometown of uh, St. Simon's Island in Georgia. And his wife has the location and, and will spread his ashes there. But there, you're not going to see a big funeral service at any point for Jim. But the Browns probably will hold something. They'll invite his former teammates back, those who remain. They'll open it to the public, I would think. Uh, I haven't talked to anyone at the Browns about that, but just talking to John, that seems to be where things are headed. Yeah, but and not to cut you off, but uh, um, you know, with the Hall of Fame, you know, the, a Brown finally going in the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah. You know, yeah. it could probably be all tied into that. You're when right. Jim I was healthy, that. he came back to Canton almost every summer. Uh, he was he was involved with that stuff. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But, yes, the, the team – I think kind of the official unofficial is, yes, the team is working on all that, and, yes, the team is going to do multiple things to honor him. But, no, nothing is finalized other than knowing that, that they're, they're going to do that, right? So, um, yesterday at practice, uh, Kevin Stefanski – uh, obviously was speaking for the team. And this is another unfortunate thing about Chubb and Garrett not being there because those are two guys that had, had been around him. And, you know, Chubb doesn't ever say anything, but I think he would he would speak about his relationship with Jim Brown. Anyway, Kevin Stefanski told a really cool story about speaking to Jim Brown uh, on the first day he got the job and immediately hanging up the phone and calling his dad, being like, well, you know, not only am I an NFL head coach now, dad, but I just talked to Jim Brown. And how cool he and his dad was. I thought it was a really human thing, and, and it made me relate again because Kevin's about our age. Kevin's younger than us uh, by a little bit, but um, it made me relate. So let's play that uh, Kevin Stefanski audio from yesterday. My dad grew up and was you know grew up in Philadelphia, but was a huge Jim Brown fan, and that's not uncommon for a lot of uh, you know people growing up at that age. I don't care where you were growing up, you became a Browns fan, you became a Jim Brown fan. Uh, early on in your life. So uh, for my dad, his two, uh, you know, he loved Wilt Chamberlain like Jim, loved Jim Brown. So for me, when I, after I hung up the phone with, with Jim, I very quickly called my dad and, and you know, he couldn't believe it. So, uh, and then just having him in town, uh, I think it was a couple years ago, uh, just spending some time with him. I mean, uh, just unbelievable what he's been through in, in his life. And, and We've we've educated our players on that. You know, last year we took him down to the Hall of Fame and and we watched a football life, Jim Brown. Uh, so we, I, it's my job to continue to educate our guys on, on what he's meant uh, to our franchise, to our league. You know, you stand on the shoulders of giants, and 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 that's Jim Brown. Okay, yeah. So really cool story you heard there, Jason. We got to get out of here. Um, I do want to tell this story. So one time I. I saw Jim Brown speak to a small group at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I looked around and I thought, oh, my God, this is really happening, right? Like, I, I cannot believe I'm a part of this, but I was. Um, but the one story that will forever stick with me, and I told this several years ago on the A to Z podcast, but not all of you guys have heard that. So the year is 2005, um, spring of 2005, so I'm 25, and I'm working for the Browns, and I get invited to this fancy pre-draft party. First time I've ever been invited to anything, right? Um, so it's all snazzy and it's the biggest appetizers and biggest drinks you've ever seen. I'm probably in my old Navy khakis. I'm way over my head, but I can't believe that I'm here. I'm just feeding us, 
um, drinks and food. And now it's time for dinner to start. And, and this, all the hustle and bustle starts to subside for a minute and we get seated. It was at this fancy restaurant in Cleveland, not the kind that I usually attend. Anyway, we get seated and we see the name tags and it's me. And there's a couple other non-football employees who I know not well, but they're sitting there next to me. And there's a seat right, right there across the way at our table of four. And the name tag says Jim Brown. And I'm like, holy shit, we're about to eat dinner with Jim Brown. <laughs> and the, the other one of the other guys at the table is like in tremors. Like, no lie. Like, we're about to eat dinner with Jim Brown. And he comes over. You know, he's almost 70 at the time. He's, he's got his cane, but he's still like hulking. And he just shakes your hand. And you're like, oh, oh my goodness. So we sit there and they start to serve dinner. And the one guy across, he's not saying much, not saying really anything. And they, they bring the salads. They lay out everything. And the guy kind of picks up the ladle of salad dressing and says, I'm, 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 Mr. Brown, would you like some salad dressing? And Jim's kind of looking down, and he looks up at the guy, and he, he picks up his hand a little bit and waves him off and goes, nah, I ate too many of those motherfucking chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> my jaw hit the floor and I realized the one thing I had in common with the greatest football player who ever lived is we both like chocolate chip cookies. So um, that's a story I will ever, I will always have. And um, you know, just we, we kind of expected it. Right. But um, we'll see how the tributes go. And I just wanted to pass that story along to you guys. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. We'll have Brown's OTAs covered. The off season's only two two more weeks, guys. Two more weeks in one day. We'll have every inch of it covered. So thanks for listening. Um, hop on the app if you have any catch up on yesterday's stuff, and we'll talk to you soon. See you next time on Civilized Party. And watch out for those motherfucking cookies. <laughs>